0: I tried running too. It doesn't work, it always follows. All due respect, that's your life, not mine. I'm not so sure about that. What do you want from me, lady? Hey, watch your tone, new girl. You know how they always say it goes back to the original? Here's the original. I want your help. Because you're wrong, this is your life now, which means that whoever this is is gonna keep coming for you. So? So I want you to help us kill him. You want me to help you and the host of a morning show commit murder? Correct. Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now,
1: here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Syndicate. I'm your host, Armand Haddad. Today we are taking a look back at the Scream franchise with the latest installment, the 2022 film Scream. But before we break the fourth wall, I am joined by a special guest, published author, Cameron Tyler. Cameron, welcome to the show.
2: Hello. Hi. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> this is so exciting. Thank you for having me here.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great uh, opportunity to have you on. And before we jump into Scream, your book, Lucas with a K. Could you tell our yes. listeners more about
2: your book? <sighs> I finished writing a book during the pandemic called Lucas with a K. It's a young adult drama. I am a big fan of teen drama as we will discuss today. Um, (laughs) And specifically queer teen drama. So it is that it's uh, soapy. It's twisty. It's probably rated PG 13 or R. I don't know, but Yeah, it's it's a thing now that took a long time to do and now it's out and it's about a boy who comes out at 17 in the year 1999 in a small town and the roller coaster of drama that ensues. That's the short spiel
1: spiel. (laughs) 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 Nice. Um, So my first question for you about about this book is so your name is Cameron. With a K. So, Lucas with a K. I do have to ask, did you draw inspiration from your own life for this book?
2: Yes. Oh, God, yes. I mean, I decided to write the book when I was a senior in high school, and I took a creative writing class, and it was the year after I came out, and I wanted to channel talking about that somewhere, and so I felt most comfortable channeling it into creative writing. And so it took me 10 years to write it. My whole twenties was basically working on it here and there. And it was completely inspired mostly by the people. The events are um, colored in quite a bit, but the people, the, the characters are all very, very, very autobiographical.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, because so growing up for me, uh, I am not gay. I am a straight man. But a lot of my friends in high school were LGBT, every single one of those letters. And they all have a similar story where it's they're kind of like misfits, social outcasts. They don't really fit into uh, the round hole because they're a square peg and they're just navigating, you know, life. That way. So it's very interesting that you took that experience you had growing up and they turned it into a book. Um, I could definitely relate to because I do some creative writing on the side too. And I'm not a published author. I wish I was. And, but I know the struggle of like write, writing for 10 years. Like I have the story just dating and it's just not done. And, but like you pulled the trigger, you're a self published man. Uh, What was that whole process like, (laughs) publishing it on your own?
2: Publishing on your own? Well, I have to say I published through Amazon, which is such a specific and unique experience. And just like every experience, there's pros and cons But I mean, kind of like how you were just saying, the the story gestating for years and years and years, that's completely what happened to me Um, because I started it in 2009 and it took me until 2020 to write, so 11 years, to write the first half, which is seven chapters. And then during the pandemic and the lockdown is when I wrote the second seven chapters in three months. So, I wow. now am just a believer that it can take as long as it takes, but when it's supposed to all fall together, then it does. And I was obviously helped by all that time I had to spend by myself. But publishing on Amazon was the, the uh, easiest part of the whole thing because once you have a manuscript, your work is basically done. You upload your manuscript onto um It's called KDP Kindle Direct Publishing. It's a service through Amazon and you design what the Kindle version will look like. You design what the uh, paperback version will look like or the hardcover if you do that. And uh, they basically take care of everything for you. So I just had to make it and when someone orders it, they send them a copy that's just been printed for them. And I, they take the printing cost out of my cut and it's so easy. Anyone can be a published author as soon as you get it done. The publishing part's the easiest <laughs> part.
1: <laughs> wow. And he had, he had Jeff Bezos helping you out too. That's, that's pretty
2: amazing. I know. And I have to say, I'm a co- complete believer in the evil that lurks within Amazon and <laughs> I've, had the experience that as an author, um, they, I feel like it's fair. It's a really fair program, KDP, um, their publishing program.
1: Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, That's, uh, really interesting. So I have to ask, so did you design the cover of your book?
2: I did design the cover of my book. I traced, if you look at the book cover, it's, um, I have it in the other room. It's a blue and green kind of landscape, blurred background, kind of watercolor looking. And then it's just a pair of eyes. Those are my eyes. So, you know, if the title wasn't <laughs> telling on myself enough, I went ahead and just put part of my face on it um, in case there's any question <laughs> that this protagonist is my uh, twin spirit.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah because i i had uh i mean i'm a graphic designer by trade and like looking at this book looking at you i'm like there's a similarity going on i don't know there's i can't a similarity put my finger going going it.
2: on he wears the same <laughs> glasses as i do it's i guess a very egocentric project
1: <laughs> no so um writing this book like what did you learn along the way uh because like It took you 11 years to write the first half and then, Mm -hmm. you know, being locked down uh, with your own thoughts, uh, home alone, you finished the book. So like finishing this whole project, what did you learn at the end?
2: I would say as far as writing, the main thing I learned is that a lot of the distractions We have, when we're trying to finish something like this, a creative project, are really self-inflicted and very influenced by social media. I mean, the lockdown helped a lot because it cut out a lot of the physical noise in my life. But I also, when the lockdown happened, I chose then, on top of that to take a hiatus from social media. So kind of when everyone was leaning more into social media than ever at the beginning of the pandemic, I turned it off because I was like, well, if I'm going to be trapped at home, why don't I try actual silence? And for me, that's what's helped the most. So now I'm writing the second book and I have right now, I mean, as you know, my Facebook is deactivated my instagrams deactivated my twitters deactivated and tiktoks off my phone because the number one thing i learned is that you really have to invest the attention in your in yourself and cut out the noise if you really are wanting to commit to giving it your all and getting it done
1: i love it leia yeah i mean as everyone's leaning into the metaverse right now you're like no I'm going to unplug. I'm going to live in the real world and get something done that is tangible and meaningful in my life. That is.
2: Yeah. Well, and listen, I love social media just as much as the next guy. I am an addict just like anyone else. (laughs) I love, I can't, I'm one of those people that just can't let go of Facebook. I love Instagram. I don't have, I think there's a reason for social media and it's wonderful. And sometimes I need a break. So, you know, I turn it off for like three months at a time, but for me, I need those chunks. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's good for mental health just to unplug and unwind and just get off the noise, like the
2: feedback,
1: 10%. the noise. So mm-hmm. my final question about your book. So it's about people, like you said, stuck in life, moving from this book, do you feel like your creative block has been removed and you're ready to make a series of books? Lucas with a K2.
2: Lucas 2K. <laughs> it takes place in the oh, year 2000. Nice. So that, kind, that title just kind of <laughs> made itself happen. But um, oh my yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to write a second book than a first book, in my opinion. I am lucky because the first book ends in a way that a sequel is very easy to do story-wise. And... I always think of it like the first half of the book was kind of its own thing that took me 11 years. And then the second half took me three months. And I'm still kind of on that kind of work schedule, because now I know what I have to do Mm. to knock it out and to get these thoughts that like you said earlier, just gestating, to get them out and get them organized. And I learned tricks that help me like I have a giant sketch pad that's like, 32 inches by 24 inches. And I use that as basically a whiteboard to make webs. I mean, I do everything I need to do. And so, yeah, it's so much easier to, to, once you get over the hill of focusing on yourself and listening to what you need to get it done, you can kind of cruise through. And it also changes the way that you look at other art and storytelling, which is, I mean, exactly what we're going to talk about today, My perspective on the whole Scream franchise is um, based on my love for storytelling and the kind of story that this tells. So um, for me, it's like added not only so much confidence in my ability to create, but the way that I look at other people's stories, too.
1: That's really inspiring. Yeah, like when once you dip your toes into like the creative process, I mean... Just listening to how you uh, generate ideas and like, you know, just giants poster size mood board and webs and ideas flowing all over the place. That's awesome. That's that's truly how you do it. And so without further ado, before we get into Scream, how can people mm-hmm. check out your book, Luke's with a K?
2: My book is available on Amazon. Obviously, it's available Kindle, it's available paperback and if you are not completely repulsed by the sound of my voice, there's an audiobook too that I recorded and I <laughs> hope to never go through that process again, but it happened and it's on Audible.
1: Hey, at least at least you voiced your own audiobook. Like some authors don't even do their own audiobooks, so kudos to you for doing that.
2: I tested some voice actors, and since the book is so me, it just made the most sense for me to read it. I mean, when people, even when they read the paperback, they're like, I literally felt like it was just you talking. Um, (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's probably a sign I should just go ahead and do the audiobook because I am exactly what he sounds like.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, everyone check out Lucas with a K on Kindle and Audible. So today, you recommended... Scream, 2022. How did you first get into Scream? I do have to ask.
2: I first watched Scream in seventh grade. So it was 2003 for me. And I was just like in a complete horror movie phase. I loved the child's play movie, like the first and second one I used to watch, Bride of Chucky. I haven't seen those in so long, though I did just watch the series and it was amazing. Um, But I was like watching Halloween and The Exorcist and Friday the 13th. And Scream was just one of the movies that uh, I rented from Blockbuster because it was those days. And then the second movie and then the third movie. And I just got sucked in immediately with... It was the story. I mean, for me, this whole series, the main thing that attracts me is the story of it. And um, that's what sucked me in, even as a 12-year-old.
1: Right. I have a similar story to you because, like, I was around the same age as you when Scream came out. And I tell this story many times on the podcast. Like, me and my friends growing up, we would go to Blockbuster and we would rent a stack of tapes, like, at least two feet tall and mm-hmm. we would it would be exclusively horror movies like we would rent like the ring the grudge uh all the classic ones uh, friday the 13th halloween we're huge halloween fans and then once we finally got to scream like we never encountered a horror movie like this before where it's like this meta commentary on the genre itself and like watching that we were like we turned to each other like wait are they allowed to do that they can't talk about the formula like that's
2: Yes. Yeah, (laughs) to me, it makes it more accessible um, because it is so meta that it talks about itself and it tells on itself and it gives you foreshadowing and it lies to you. And I mean, it's you're, you're exactly right. Scream is unique in that sense that it's making fun of itself from the very beginning I mean, literally the first scene in the entire franchise is the Drew Barrymore, Casey Becker death scene where she gets a phone call and the scary movie talk is the first dialogue in the movie. And I think that's what I loved about it. For a 12-year-old, when someone's (laughs) telling you the rules, you feel like you're involved because you're like, oh, I understand that. And I'm watching this and maybe I can put it together. And, you know, for me, it just has everything that I love about stories
1: yeah the first scream definitely has a very special place in my heart and of course you know since we loved the first scream so much we saw scream 2 scream 3 Mm -hmm. and then later in our life scream 4 came out and yes i don't know about you but like for me like scream 2 made sense like so in the first uh movie I'm not gonna say spoiler alert because it's what almost a 20 year old movie at this point. Um, so there's two killers, and Billy Loomis and uh, Shaggy from Scooby Doo.
2: Stu <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> Mocker is his character's demon scream.
1: <laughs> so like when the second one came out, it was the mother. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that makes sense. And then once we get to Scream three, that's when you have a copycat killer, and I'm like. Oh, this kind of deflates it. And then that Scream 4 was like, what's happening right now?
2: <laughs> well, okay. It was a copycat killer because it was, I mean, three, Scream 3 was so meta that it was about, obviously, the Hollywood versions of the Scream events for the movie Stabbed yes. and its franchise. But they also, on top of that whole aspect of the killing pattern, they that's also when they introduced the fact that the killer was Sydney's a brother that she didn't know about because he was the son of her mom from one of her mom's affairs way back when. And it's important to note that because for me, part of what I love about this, even as contrived as it is and as soapy as it is and far out (laughs) completely from the realm of reality, I feel like it's so campy. It gives itself permission to do that. And it is literally a generations long saga because in the fourth movie it does go off the rails it's her like cousin i think her first cousin emma roberts plays her and the whole thing is also social commentary on social media but it's also that her family has this trauma because of sydney and she wants like this revenge and it's always coming back to the family which is what i like.
1: it's all about family (laughs) yeah so yeah, yeah i mean you're absolutely right so like if it was taking itself seriously say this was i don't know halloween and uh-huh. it wouldn't work because like even though halloween is like pulpy and uh campy you know with the sequels but like with scream it's so like self-aware and it makes this commentary on the genre on life itself and even in this latest movie the actors and their lives which i thought was hilarious um It works. And that's awesome. Mm. So, like, if it was taking itself seriously, it just would fall flat. And the audience would be like, no, this is lame. What am I watching? Days of our lives. Like, this is general hospital.
2: Exactly. Well, and you have to know this about me, is that as a younger person... I was an avid Days of Our Lives viewer. So you have to know. I made the right reference. (laughs) Something I love about stories is when they're campy, overdramatic. They have storylines that affect these families going back years and years. And it's all always coming to some new um, revelation, which is exactly what happens in this movie, not to give too much away up front. And to me... Since it's allowed to do that, that's so unique and magical. And also you have the factor, by the way, that every Scream movie is also a mystery. So yes. unlike Friday the 13th or, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween, it's not the same killer every single time. It's a fresh new mystery every time. But it always You're comes right. back.
1: Yes. It always comes back to Nev Campbell in some way. Yes. So we were, we've been gushing about the Scream franchise So now, with the latest installment, Scream 5, AKA Scream, uh, what were your first impressions? Like going into the theater, what did you think coming out?
2: I will say this without spoiling anything specific. I went into it very nervous and also with a lot of faith that, you know, there was a lot of buzz before this movie even got made that, you know, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, they all, decided to come back, even though they previously hadn't planned to because the original director of the first four movies, Wes Craven, had died. But the script was right. so good, and it was it paid such um, tribute to Wes Craven's films that they all decided to do it. That gave me hope because, I mean, you can see in any interview dating back to 96, these actors respected him so much. So I figured if the script was that good and they believed in it, it wasn't going to be disappointing. There were points during the movie when I thought, oh, no, I think I know who the killer is. And I'm disappointed now. And some <laughs> things happen that I'm like, oh, this is like, a, is this going to end up being a disgrace? But then at the end, I was rewarded for my faith. And I walked out of the theater very, very pleased. It's not my favorite of the five. I'll say that. I saw some reviews where they say it's the best one. I don't think so, but I was very satisfied.
1: Sounds like some paid uh, reviews, Best Scream. Get out of town. Like it, It <laughs> is a good movie. I did enjoy it. Leaving the theater, I was like, that was surprisingly good. I mean, I went in with pretty low expectations, you know, after Scream 4 because, you know, I just love the franchise so much. I watched Scream 4 and I was like, Ugh, why, why did they make this? And then with... Yeah. Uh, The latest one, I was pleasantly surprised because, like, when Wes Craven passed away in 2015, I, you know, it hurt. I was like, oh, we lost, in my opinion, a legendary horror director. Like, I love all his films, even, like, with his early stuff with, like, uh, Deadly Blessing. Like, even though it was kind of tonally inconsistent, (laughs) to say the least, it was still, like, you could see the hallmarks of what would come with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and with the Scream franchise. So, like, when he passed away, I was like, oh, we lost a good one. But, like, with this movie, you said it. Like, it definitely paid homage to Wes. Even with, I mean, very on the nose. One of the characters' name is Wes. Like, when they yes. name dropped his characters, I was like, oh, I get it. I got yes. it. And then what, like, I think his girlfriend, uh, Sam Carpenter, which is another homage to John Carpenter. Uh, I think they were friends, Wes Craven and John Carpenter. But they did make a lot of Halloween references in this movie.
2: Well, and the funny thing is, I noticed that they used Wes's name um, for Deputy Judy's son. And also, yeah, Sam Carpenter. They used Carpenter. And the funny thing is, in the first Scream movie, there is a line that Tatum says to Sydney where she said, Oh, you're acting like this is some kind of Wes Carpenter movie. So the funny nah. thing is they've already yeah. used both of those <laughs> in the Scream franchise in the very first movie. But to me, it was kind of a callback that most people wouldn't know unless you really watched these movies too many times.
1: Right. It's it's for us, the horror um yeah. genre lovers. Um and just just a side note, quick side note, like with the first Scream movie, my favorite scene to this day uh, that stands out is uh, when the principal that's played by Henry Wrinkler, a.k.a. the Fonz, mm-hmm. was looking for the killer or something. And one of the janitors is in the hallway and he was like, oh, something like motherfucker. And the janitor was like, what would mm-hmm. you say? Not you, Fred. And he's dressed like Freddy Krueger.
2: And it's Wes Craven. That's Wes Craven? And that is Wes Craven's cameo in Scream. Oh my god. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) I thought that's why you were saying that.
1: No, I was just mentioning I was like, oh, it's Freddy Krueger, like his other movie.
2: (laughs) It's Wes Craven's tribute to himself, which I love so much.
1: What a man. He's so missed. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you and I, like, you texted me first. You're like, it was such a surprise text. It was, like, in the middle of the night. You're like, I just, I just saw Scream. It was fantastic. It was everything, in all caps. And I was like, oh, damn. I've for me, it was. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, definitely seeing it on the big screen was worth it. Like, because we were talking off air, like, it was supposed to be streaming on Paramount Plus, and then they pulled it last minute for a, theatrical release and honestly it was amazing to see it in a room full of people the the crowd was alive like even though the crowd were where where i went was pretty small we were still like electrified we were like yes this is it's exciting it's fun
2: yes i mean i i like i said i had mixed feelings going in i was like had this feeling of despair like oh my god they're gonna fuck it up there's no way they're not gonna fuck it up (laughs) Um, excuse my language (laughs) (laughs) Uh, bleep me out if you have to they're gonna mess it up and then a part of me was like no I really believe that anything that goes not my way is gonna be rectified I believe that I'm gonna come out happy and then I did and when we can discuss spoilers I'll tell you the very detailed reasons why
1: amazing so let's get into it. So before we go any further into Scream, listeners of the show know what time it is. It's time for the elevator Please pitch.
2: Stand clear of the closing door.
1: So, for those that don't know, since this is your first time on the show, Cameron, what we like to do on Syndicate is the elevator pitch. So, I need you to summarize Scream 2022 within one minute while avoiding major spoilers. Are you ready?
2: I'm ready. I'm looking at my okay. clock. I'm going to really make sure it's under 60 seconds.
1: All right. Good luck. We're going to start in three, two, one, go.
2: The new installment of Scream, Scream 2022 or Scream 5, is uh, a series of events that takes place 25 years after the original Westboro uh, or Woodsboro murders um, from the 1996 Scream. And it is... Increasingly clear that the victims of this rampage are directly related to these legacy characters from the very first Scream movies and, of course, the subsequent sequels. And um, we get to see Deputy Dewey and Gail Weathers and Sidney Prescott return to help this new generation of teens dealing with a serial killer figure it all out, solve the mystery, and see how it's related to the past. Because it always is.
1: Oh my God, with five seconds to spare. You did a great job, Cameron. Like, yeah, this is truly, <laughs> this is truly a movie for a new generation. Like, it's Scream um, for today's audiences while paying homage to the original Scream. So let's get into it. Full spoilers from here on out. Like, I was a little bit weary, as, as you mm-hmm. were too. Like, it's just called Scream. And I was like, oh, God, are they rebooting it? Oh, no. And then quickly into the movie, they talk about the, as they put it, a requel. I call it a soft reboot where it's a reboot, but a sequel at the same time. Kind of like The Force Awakens for Star Wars. Where it's totally, you know, the next installment, but it's kind of like the first movie. And Scream 2022 is no different. And they... You know, it's just so self-aware to the point where it's the title of the movie, where they're talking about, like, you know, this is reboots or requel uh, uh, rules. And it's like, oh, my God, they're talking about, like, uh, reboots. And then the movie itself is called Scream, which is, like, uh, inferring that it's a reboot. Like, it was so meta. I was just say in the theater. I'm like, this is genius. And I love it. It's uh-huh. so low-key. I love it.
2: I felt the same way. I mean, just like with all of the other movies, the the writing is so self-aware. The movie is always in on its own joke. And to me, I, here's another thing that some people will be with me and some people won't know what I'm talking about. But I, when I, you're from the same cohort of, of millennials as I am. And when <laughs> we were <laughs> teens, preteens, Degrassi the next generation came out on the end and what I loved about that was that it was literally it was this it was a requal and I didn't Mm -hmm. obviously call it that at the time because I just learned this word (laughs) honestly is it a new word is that really for message I don't know if it's real or not but it is (laughs) it was that it was tied back to the Degrassi in the 80s but those people Mm -hmm. were now the parents and they brought them on in the first seasons of that show to transition old audiences and new audiences into getting into one narrative. And to me, this was, I was really not a fan of the naming. Like you were saying that they're just calling it scream until I realized, Oh, this really could be a point of transition. It could be a passing of the torch because, Mm -hmm. and we're going to have to get into this, do it. The movies are always for me. This is an opinion. The movies are always centered around this final girl moment. And it's always mm-hmm. Nev Campbell because she is mm-hmm. the queen of these movies, but it always or most often she's also helped by Gail Weathers up to the bitter end. I mean, in the first two movies, especially it's like, they almost act as a pair to make sure that the killer is defeated. And that happened in this movie too. And of course, if we're now talking spoilers, we can address the fact that in the fifth installment of the franchise, Dewey is dead for real this time, like actually killed by the killer. And that was, in my opinion, one of the most genius things about this. If a, it's going to be a transition and B we're doing that character justice. He's been almost killed so many times that it almost seemed like, and he played it so well. David Arquette was so wonderful in this movie. He almost seemed tired. um, And it felt kind of okay for him to ultimately be like, I'm going to try my best to get this killer. And honestly, if he kills me, that's just the way it goes. But for Sydney and Gail, to still end up prevailing. It felt scary when they killed him off because I was at that point like are they going to just kill all of the legacy characters off and like start Ooh. fresh with the new. But yeah. I think it was great cuz it added to the risk that they might kill Sydney in the very end and Gale. Um but also the movies were always about Sydney and Gale kicking ass till the end. Do we always just kind right. of happen to survive? Um and so I think the way that they brought him in to close out Dewey's chapter, have him go out as a valiant guy and by the way, have his death avenged by Sydney and Gail in the way that it was. And yes, I call the girl on fire, the Chucky moment. (laughs) Um, I think as a transition, they executed it perfectly because it leaves the door open for Gail and Sydney to come back if this is going to transition into like a a new series of movies or they kind of pass the torch at the end. And it gives permission for us to move on with this new generation that we would not have been able to do without these requel qualities.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, David Arquette, like, He put his like he gave it his all. Like everyone involved with this production, really gave it its gave it their all, and you can really tell. Like with David Arquette, like like you said, he did look tired, and he looked old. Because I was I was I was watching the movie, and like I was like thinking like Oh God, (laughs) he what happened? What happened, Dewey? How did you get old? And like the movie made fun of that. you know, being meta, like it brought to the attention of the audience like, yeah, I mean, David Arquette did get old and he does look old. And uh he really played up that performance, like you said. And the character felt like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I am done. Like, he didn't even put on like his uniform. Like, he's like, I'm retired. And, you know, his death scene was so... It, it was satisfying. Like he went in to do the double tap. Cause like he shot up, uh, the, the ghost face killer and he was like, wait, you have to shoot him in the head. Cause they always come back. Like every good monster call back to the first movie. Every good monster uh-huh. comes back for one last scare. And he, he knows better, you know, having this be his fifth outing with Ghostface, He's like, I'm going to kill him. And then ghost face, you know, completely guts him and it was so poignant. I was sad. Maybe there was a tear in my eye. I was like, oh, oh. they actually killed Dewey. And, like, there was some speculation in the horror community. Because, like, based on the trailer, like, Gail Weathers looked a bit concerned in one of the shots. Like, there was police uh, colors, sirens going off. People were like, oh, Dewey's dead. They killed Dewey. And when it happened, I was like, they actually did it. They killed him. It was like
2: I was in shock. Yeah, I, mean, I was shocked I too. Could not believe it. It was an honor, as
1: Ghostface said, as he Ugh. plunged his knife into him.
2: Yeah, I mean, initially good. when it happened, I was just like, "No, they didn't." No, they didn't. No, they didn't. And I'll he's say I didn't back. expect he's it. Coming back. I did not expect it. I I I mean, we'll talk about the whole Billy Loomis thing too. Uh speaking of things I didn't expect, but I didn't expect that they would kill off Dewey. I don't know why I didn't think they would, probably because they make you think so many times through the franchise he's dead and then he's really not. But it does become mm-hmm. apparent very quickly that no, he is indeed Dead. And the good thing is, yeah. you're right. It was satisfying because of the way that they wrote it. He almost had a look yeah. in his eyes when he went back to shoot Ghostface in the head. That was like, I have to at least try. And a part of you, I think, knew, oh, he's going to die now. Like he's going back right. willingly, though, because he's tired of running after 25 years, which is fair, by the way. And um, <laughs> it felt satisfying in that respect because... You could tell he was so worn down. I think the fact that they made him retired was brilliant because it showed just him as a person, he was kind of spent. And um, the only thing that I wanted after that was for whoever killed him to get what they had coming for killing off the beloved Deputy Dewey. And then I was very satisfied when (laughs) they did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this entire movie... Was I, you know, I was blown away because like, not only is it a competently made movie, like it's very effectively paced and, you know, set up. Just like everything about it is just, I was like, this is how you quote, requel a franchise. Like, this is how you do it. (laughs) Like, you pay homage, you like, say, if you do kill off legacy characters, you do it in a satisfying way. And then not only that, like the killer got that satisfying death because the person that avenged dewey's death did it in a satisfying way like everything was set up and it paid off and he left the theater like even though like our beloved dewey is dead like it was satisfying like his death was satisfying his uh avenging moments was satisfying the ending was satisfying everything like i was like this is this is a great movie this is a good movie
2: I mean, I can't think of another, and maybe I'm blinking, but I don't think that in the Scream franchise there's ever been someone set on fire, especially (laughs) by having their face covered. I think it was hand sanitizer, and then just getting their face torched with the stove, pilot light, fire. I mean, it was so satisfying because I'm like, gail that i mean they even gave her the line you killed my best friend which i thought was so perfect and like that's how you know she's avenging dewey's death and she had no mercy on the killer upon saying that that's why she was doing it and i thought it was like you know what it made sense to kill Dewey. I didn't expect it to happen, but I find that I'm surprisingly okay with it because they did a very good job um, with the whole thing from start to finish. Exactly.
1: So you mentioned Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. Mm-hmm. So it is no secret that David Arquette and Courtney Cox were married because they met each other on the Scream set. They fell in love. And the relationship on screen mimicked their off screen lives. And then with scream 2022, you know, they are divorced. They are not together anymore. And in real life, that's what happened too. like when they broke up in real life. I forget, I forget which year it was where they broke up. I was like, what? But they've been together since scream 1996. Like you can't do that. And then I just love how this movie, um, brought that to the focus with the characters too it's like the scream franchise is almost an echo of their real life and with courtney cox saying like you killed my best friend like Mm. i'm sure there was like real emotion involved with that line delivery even with david arquette when he was still alive in the movie like the way he like looked at uh gail weathers like as she's like good morning uh Woodsboro uh mm-hmm. equivalents um on screen. Like he's like looking longingly like, like, oh, like I still love you. And like I'm sure I don't know them in real life, but I'm sure there are real emotions still for each other. I mean, clearly they made the movie together. So
2: right. well, and their chemistry is, in my opinion, just undeniable since the very first movie. In fact, I was very lucky uh, I went to see Scream the other day at the theater with my friend Drew, who had never seen the original Scream. I had one time oh, made God. him watch Scream 2 with <laughs> me, so I think Scream 2 was the only one he had seen. But I knew going into this new Scream movie that they were going to do lots of callbacks to the first film. So I was like, before we go see Scream in the theater, let's watch Scream From 96. That way you'll get all like the crazy OG references when we go to the theater. And so we watched the first one and I told him, I am just obsessed with one of the top three things probably that I'm obsessed with the first screen movie is the chemistry that is there between Deputy Dewey and Gail Weathers from Every single scene that they're in together, the way that they look right. each other, look at each other, the way they talk to each other and it's in the second movie too when they come acro- come across it, each other again and he's hurt by her and she cares for him but she's still sassy Gale weathers I mean their chemistry, every single movie comes through so yeah when she's like arriving at the hospital in this new movie and she is completely distraught i almost wish they hadn't put that in the trailer because their chemistry is so legit i think that is totally what gave away a huge hint that deputy dewey might finally meet his demise in this film right. because their chemistry is that legit and you can see it when they're even talking about each other in this movie
1: yeah maybe that was a marketing ploy to get butts and seats, like, oh true wink wink. <laughs> Dewey <laughs> might bite it. And he did. Yeah, I mean, looking back, uh, with these movies, like totally, like you can like I've seen so many movies where there's like a love interest between two actors and there's zero chemistry. Zero. Like off the top of my head, uh, with the Harry Potter films, like uh Daniel Radcliffe, uh Harry Potter ends up with uh, Ron's sister, Ginny, uh, I think that's her name. And there's zero chemistry, zero chemistry, whether it's like, this, this is not believable. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no way that they like each other or even like uh, Rupert Grint with uh, Emma Watson, zero chemistry. Z- like I don't believe that they like each other on screen because like they don't like each other in real life. And yeah, with the Scream movies, like totally David Arquette and Courtney Cox, like you could see it in their eyes that they're like they light up uh every time they're in a scene together. And it's just like it steals the show. Like looking back, like with the original Scream movie, even the composer was like, okay. And like there's like a certain theme for like Dewey every time Courtney oh, Cox I know. is around.
2: I literally <laughs> could hear it in my head this morning while I was like compiling notes of things I wanted to make sure to remember today and I like whenever I think of Dewey I think of that like strumming guitar music (laughs) and it is so first of all it's so sweet and it also goes to show they really just got the character like Wes Craven obviously originated directing this character and Kevin Williamson wrote this character, but David Arquette and Courtney Cox, it can't be not noted that they're also just both so good at doing what their characters need to do. Like he embodies that kind of naive boyish Western sheriff vibe so well (laughs) all the way till the end and she embodies that stone cold but not really truly has a heart of gold but is also a bad bitch vibe and they're both just so good at it and the chemistry adds to it and the music i mean oh i'm so glad you brought that up the music's i was so glad they brought (laughs) dewey's theme back for the end because it would not have been the same without that theme you never know when When a movie goes to a different production company, what they're going to keep and what they're not going to. And that seems like such a small thing, but it's so recognizable for someone who really loves this franchise.
1: Right. This movie was, it definitely feels like it was made for not only to honor Wes Craven's legacy, but also to, it's like a love letter to the whole Scream franchise itself. And...
2: probably
1: everyone involved was a fan of Scream, the original Scream. Mm -hmm. And it shows like with like the love and care and craft with this entire movie. And it is just a breath of fresh air. And what's meta about that is so like, since Scream is quote a reboot, like, so we mentioned this earlier with the stab films, which is like the fictionalized version of Scream within, it's like a movie within a movie. And with these stab movies, there was like eight of them and like the latest stab was like made by the as they put it the director of knives out and it was completely subversive and like people uh on the internet lost their minds they said they ruined their childhood by watching this movie and i do have to say one that didn't happen with scream 2022 thank god um but like the meta commentary because like I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but, like, that was totally a reference to uh, The Last Jedi that came out, I think, in 2015, uh, 2016. No, I think it was 2017, actually. Um, but, yeah, like, having that commentary in there, I was like, oh, my God, they're doing it. And, like, like did you catch on to that at all? Probably, right?
2: Well, I... I have to be honest with you, and everyone thinks I'm crazy for this, I've never seen a Star Wars movie in my life. And I've never also oh seen a Harry Potter God. movie in my life. I oh know. My God. But you know what? <laughs> they're both such... This is the thing that I love about both of those that I've never seen. Though, is that they're both so infamous that I still know what you're talking about. Um, and <laughs> right. there have been, I think, numerous articles uh, this past couple weeks, especially comparing... This requel format or the way that they're bringing Scream back, but also transitioning with the legacy characters, making that comparison to Star Wars, which is one of the right. most famous, not even just movie series, but storytelling series that ever existed. So I don't think it's uh, in bad company it's
1: kind of amazing one that you've been avoiding uh these movie franchises (laughs) for so long and and two like it's a testament to it's storytelling because like it permeated pop culture so much that even though you've never seen these movies you know exactly what i'm talking about and sitting in the theater i'm like are these seriously you know what like many movies Many TV shows, like, there's a Star Wars reference. I just did not expect it in a Scream movie. And, like, that whole debacle with, you know, funny enough, so the director of Knives Out is Ryan Johnson. He directed not Stab 8, but Star Wars 8, The Last Jedi, and people lost their damn minds. And um, it's just, like, that meta commentary where it's, like, that people, everyone knows about it, and it's, like, uh, highlighting, you know, taking a spotlight to uh, toxic fan bases. And, like, because, like, with this whole Scream movie with the subplot with uh, Stab 8 was, like, people hated Stab 8 because it was so different than the previous ones as they put it in the movie. It has none of the legacy characters in it. it this ghost face has, act, you know, acting completely different than, has, than he did in these other movies. And, like, it showed, like, a little clip where he kind of looked like Wesley yeah. Snipes or he has like his guns out uh, his arms and he has like a (laughs) flamethrower i'm like and the mask has turned
2: silver which i thought was interesting in stab eight the mask changed it wasn't the white ghost face mask which i had to wonder if that was a reference to the scream tv series that they changed the mask (gasps) oh my god
1: yes i'm glad you're bringing that up so, I know you, since you're such a huge Scream fan, I personally haven't seen the Scream TV show made by MTV uh, because the mask was completely different because it didn't have Same. the rights to the mask. Yeah. So, like, but with the season three, the final season, they got the rights to the mask and they kind of rebooted it, the entire show, oh. with like a completely different storyline. So, like, if I were to watch the Scream TV show, I would watch the final season, but like that probably is a reference to the Scream uh, TV show because, like, you know, it's a very valuable franchise, IP. Like, people want to utilize it, but, like, you have to do it right. And yeah. by changing the mask, you completely change the entire – just make make a new show at that point. Like, don't call it Scream. Exactly. Call it something else. Call it yell
2: exactly. (laughs) Well, and it's so funny that you brought up the toxic fandoms because that truly was the whole the, the biggest cultural commentary of this film. Um, Like Mm, if you rewatch, and I honestly, when it came out in 2011, I didn't realize just how much Scream 4 was commenting on social media and our need for likes and retweets and follows. Um, But that's truly what Scream 4's ultimate cultural subcontext is. And this one, in my opinion, they turned it up a notch by exactly what you're talking about. The toxic fandoms of the fans are demanding that this is what's going to happen with these characters that I love. And since I love them, I deserve a say in wh- how their narrative plays out. And in fact, they take it another step higher where these uh, two killers in this movie are t- completely motivated by, you know what, if they can't write the story, right, then I'll write it myself. Even if people have to die, because I'm that invested in this franchise and these Um, characters and this killer and I was just like wow it's so interesting because this movie lured a bunch of Scream fans in to tell them is this how you're acting about this franchise (laughs) and I thought that was so glorious because I was like oh my god that was me the whole time I've been waiting for this movie. Like, they better not screw <laughs> this up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's how meta it is, where now they're just straight up making fun of you in this movie, and they're not wrong for it.
1: No. It's deservingly so that, um, that the movie is making fun of these, um, I don't know what to call them, rage, clickbaits youtubers like there's this funny segment and that's like 30 seconds long where it shows like these two uh youtubers like you know what they they have to remake stab 8. i'm gonna make it myself or something like that and i was like oh god like cringing because it's like i know the exact channels that they are making fun of that popped up in my feed about various franchises and it's like oh god like i know controversy and anger gets clicks and views, but it's like, oh God, like truly the movie's like, hey, don't do that. Like, yeah. and they're totally right for doing it. Like, like, totally clown on these people because at the end of the day, they are clowns.
2: Yeah. Well, and the funny thing to me also is that it to it to me, it brought the whole thing back full circle in a way that was truly perfect because the very first scream movie is a critique on horror movie fans. And um, I mean, the killer is freaking Billy Loomis who's obsessed with scary movies. And so he decides to make his own. And this is just a complete um, tribute to that in and of itself, because it's about all of it's about that horror movie fan in all of us the Scream fans. And so it's almost just like a never-ending cycle that we all happen to be a part of, and they're telling us that. And at least that's what I took away from it. I thought it was just a genius because it was a new take on the oldest theme in the whole franchise.
1: Absolutely. So we mentioned it a few times, so let's get into it. So the killer of this movie... You know, being a soft reboot, a requel of sorts. Mm -hmm. You know, the first film, you had two killers. You had Scooby-Doo's Shaggy.
2: (laughs) Yep. It's Matthew Lillard is the actor, and the character's name is Stu Mocker.
1: Yeah, Stu Mocker and Billy Loomis, which was the boyfriend of Sidney Prescott. And I did not expect with this movie to have two killers again. And... To even uh, punch it up, the main character of this entire movie was the illegitimate child of Billy Loomis. And I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, in the beginning of the movie, you have Billy Loomis appearing to our main protagonist in, like, reflections. And, like, it looks – I don't know how they did it. Movie magic. He looks exactly the same as he did in 96.
2: I freaked out. And this was exactly the reason why. I mean, you know this from our conversations. I was really not gung-ho about going to the movie theater at this point in the pandemic when we're having this huge wave. I'm in Denver. It's especially big here. I didn't really want to go to the movie theater. But there was also no freaking way I was going to let anything major get spoiled. And that is the biggest thing that I'm happy did not get spoiled. Because when they... Clearly, used some CGI because they made Ski Ulrich look exactly, it was 1996. I mean, I don't know if it was like, it, it seemed like deep fake technology because, and it's done Probably. very well, by the way, because especially since I had just finished an hour before watching the 96 movie, I'm telling you, it was like this was five minutes later. It was so weird. And so she has these hallucinations. <laughs> From what I understand, it's Ski Ulrich, but they must have also digitally enhanced his face to bring back the twenty five years. Although that man still Probably. looks as gorgeous as ever. But um yeah. that was the biggest but most yeah. iconic thing to me visually.
1: Yeah. As long as you have the original actor, you can de-age them pretty easily. Like because like it's yeah, it's their same skull. Um yeah. that's that was a huge surprise. Like, like one, the main character is, you know, the love child of Billy Loomis. And then like Billy Loomis from 96 pops up uh, you know, as these visions of the main character. I'm like, oh my God. Like, like you said, I'm glad I went opening weekend. I'm glad I saw this without being spoiled. Cause like I didn't see Spider-Man for like a few weeks. And I was dodging spoilers the best as as the best I could. But like eventually it got spoiled for me. Like all the different little Easter eggs in the movie. I was like, oh, I'm still going to watch it anyways. So I'm glad I went uh, to the movie theater to see Scream. Um, So getting back to the movie, the killers of this movie. So would you like to unpack who the killers are for Scream 2022?
2: Yes, because ugh, I love it. And I'll tell you two different reasons. But we ultimately find out that the two killers are one, Sam's boyfriend, Richie, who has come to Woodsboro with her from out of town. And you kind of immediately don't sus you're not suspicious of him because he wasn't in town when this whole thing started so how could he possibly have anything to do with it and also it's funny because Deputy Dewey warns very early on that you should be suspicious of him but Uh, at least me a lot of us i think are convinced that we know better like oh we already know it can't be him because we know that he wasn't in town when the whole thing started well it turns out it could be him because the other killer is the best friend of sam's little sister tara and the friend is amber and you uh, immediately don't suspect her because in the very first scene it seems to be revealed that her phone was stolen and she's being watched on her computer in her bedroom. So you think, well, clearly it's not Amber, but then it is. And we get the classic reference to it's the boyfriend and this crazy, weird, zany sidekick, which it's so funny because she's so serious the whole movie. But as soon as she's revealed to be the killer, she very heavily resembles Stu and it turns out to be yes. her house that was formerly formerly Stu mocker's house
1: yeah like during the third act when everything went balls to the wall crazy um it was when the character the main character sam carpenter when she realized she was in Stu mocker's house as the pan as the camera panned out like right before that happened i was like wait a minute i recognize that staircase Wait a minute. I know that front door. Oh my God. They're in the original house in Scream. Like they did a great job recreating oh that God. house. I don't know if it's no, they totally rebuilt that house. There's, there's no way that, you know, it would still look the same after, you know, twenty-five years uh if it was a real house. But like that just man, what a reveal at the end of the movie. And the yeah. reveal that the current tenants Amber who's a friend of Sam was the killer, like one, like I was like surprised. I was like one, they're actually, you know, since scream two and scream four, like you don't really, you know, I visualize, like you don't really get like a lot of feminine uh, killers in scream, but like more than half the movies, it's, it's a female killer. Uh, I, it's just uh Billy Loomis and Stu, uh, Stu mocker just like completely, you know, in my brain, steal the show when it comes to, like, who is Ghostface. Um, yeah. But, like, they, they completely embody uh, the original duo of the first film. And, like, even though everyone was being suspicious uh, throughout this entire film of, like, oh, who who's the killer? When it was revealed it was those two, I was like, oh, I did not expect that at all.
2: They did a very good job throwing you off. Um, they, at the end, I did feel like, oh, I should have known because, and I don't know if this is on purpose or not. They also really paid homage to the fact that in the second movie, Debbie Salt, or the real Mrs. Loomis, um, yeah. played by Lori Metcalf reveals that she met Sydney's friend, Mickey, who was the second killer in Scream 2, through a message board, which obviously this was the early days of message board because that Scream 2 was 97. Um, And in this movie, they met on, was it 4chan or Reddit? It was one of these websites.
1: Um, I know they referenced 4chan and Reddit, but they... They probably met on there. Some sort of like movie. Yeah. They met essentially the
2: same way that Debbie Salt and Mickey met in Scream 2. And they made this plan over the internet of what they were going to do to manipulate themselves into these people's lives. And so I thought that was – it felt like a callback um, because I'll tell you true transparency i'm very honest about this scream 2 is my favorite of the scream movies
1: oh you're crazy but okay i I
2: love (laughs) scream 2 so i love scream 2 even more than scream 1 i love scream 2 and um so i felt like that was hopefully an on purpose reference but even if it wasn't i'm so satisfied with that
1: It has to be. And if not, it's a huge coincidence. Like, I just love um, the commentary where they're in the kitchen, you know, um, recreating the scene in the first film where uh, Amber and Sam's boyfriend, Richie, is like explaining, like, this is what we're going to do. Like, kind of like that evil villain moments where they're like, this is our whole plan. We're going to, you know, like, we're going to kill you, make it look like the first stab movie because like all the other stab movies suck like it, it's the first movie that truly matters and we're going to recreate it uh just like in the first film and when the tide turns where sydney and gail uh overpower amber and richie uh, amber says the phrase like wait 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 do not kill me i was radicalized online like, yes you know and i was like oh that's good that is so good. Like, she's, like, using the current talking point now where these young people are being radicalized online because of these message boards, because of these subreds, because of 4chan. And it's just like, oh, like, that is such a good commentary for, like, today. And it's a good reference to Scream 2 because that's how that villain got, quote, radicalized online.
2: Yeah. Message boards, fan boards, Mickey loved the whole story of the Westbro thing. And obviously Debbie was seeking revenge. And I mean, it's also just ironic because... Um, Like you said, Richie and Amber had this whole plan that they were going to create this narrative about the daughter of Billy Loomis now being a killer, which would be actually the third, if it were true and why I think they really wanted it, I have to think is because that would make her the third generation of killers because Billy's mom was Mm. Billy was. And then if his daughter was um, Mm. that would be continuing that narrative. And honestly, I thought it was funny because for me throughout the movie, I did think that's the way it was going. So I was like, Oh, I get it. And it makes so much sense that they're paying homage by making Billy Loomis's daughter a killer now. And then it's like, no, but is that what you wanted as a fan though? And it's like, Oh, it's like they caught me in so many things. I (laughs) feel like, and I appreciated that. Right. And by the way, we have to talk about the house because we're going to talk about the house. I don't know if you know this, but the house is a real house and it's available. What? It was at least, it might still be to rent on Airbnb. No way. It's a real house. I will send you the Airbnb listing, but this is it. Oh my God. No way. And as you can, yes. And as you can maybe see, and I encourage everyone to go look it up. It's, it's a house on Airbnb. I don't know. I haven't read about who has stayed there, but I, it was clearly a marketing, um, thing. They have it decorated, um, very nineties esque. And I definitely want to do some more research to see if anyone ended up staying there or if it was truly just a marketing thing. But, uh, (sighs) apparently it's a real house in California.
1: Uh, That is amazing. But I
2: think they did build a set. I (laughs) think they definitely built a set, to be clear. In the movie, that's a set, I think. But I believe it's based on a real house. Wow.
1: I know other people did that with other locations where they turned it into. I don't know about an Airbnb, but like uh, the Home Alone house is here in Illinois, in Winnetka, which is a couple miles from Chicago. Um, I know that there's the Murder House in L.A., from American Horror Story, that's probably untouched since the filming of that TV show. So, like, man, whoever owns that house has to be a Scream fan. They have to be like, I'm going to preserve this house. That is amazing. Yeah hit it up on Zillow. Yes. To buy
2: it. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I honestly, now there's, I need to do more research because on Airbnb, it's listed as $5 a night, which clearly is not true. So I want to yeah. do some more research, but it appears to be a real house. And if it is indeed a real house and you really can stay there, I definitely hope to do that one day because <laughs> that's an iconic house. And I have to say also to your point about the house, I had the same kind of realization slowly because they don't make it instantly apparent that that's Stu Mocker's old Mm -hmm. house. It's also very disguised in very colorful lights for the first Mm -hmm. maybe 20 minutes that you're in the house. So you wouldn't necessarily recognize it. But once you catch a glimpse, for me, it was the room where the TV is where I was like, wait a freaking minute. There in Steve <laughs> house. For you, it was the staircase. There's gonna be that. And and yeah. honestly, thinking back, I should have noticed because they show the kitchen in like one of the first shots. Um, and that kitchen is obviously iconic from the first movie, but I oh. thought that was brilliant. They kind of let you figure it out on your own time. And then there's a certain point where it's said, in case you haven't figured it out. Yeah.
1: Because like there's a party going on, it looked like a scene from Euphoria or something with like the crazy uh oh, yeah. blue and purple pink lights, and then when a- Amber was like, "All right, party's over, turn on all the lights," so it's just like normal lighting. That's when it's like, "Oh wait a minute, hold up, I know where we are." <laughs> yeah, that yeah, such a like so many great reveals throughout this entire yeah. movie where it's like the slow re- realization that it's Stu Macher's house, the, re- the slow realization that it's, you know, the killer is, you know, the best friend and also the boyfriend. And it's like, oh my God, like so many good reveals. Like there's so many nice setups and then good payoffs. Like it's a finely yes. crafted film and I did not expect it from like a, a requel soft reboot in 2022 like it's a breath of fresh air for so many different reasons
2: yes many gifts to the fans which i think they did a great balance of this is a movie for og scream fans and also it's the perfect time if you're if you have not participated in this franchise and you want to start this is like i said earlier to me a great Transition moment because it could very well be that Sam and Tara are the new heroines of this franchise for the next mm. however many movies, and honestly, right. they're both kick ass and likable enough that I would go on that journey in the next movie, even if Sydney and Gail didn't come back. I really would.
1: Right, because like with the scream movies, like Sydney is definitely. She breaks that conventional final girl trope, where in other movies it's kind of like, you know, kind of like the damsel in distress, a little bit of an edge to her. But like with Nev Campbell's portrayal of Sydney, she's definitely more of like Sarah Connor, or she's more of a badass. Uh, she can hold her own. <sighs> and with this film, like she definitely like it was like turning the clock back. I was like, oh nev campbell i remember you like it's so great to see her on, on film again and she did a great job and her mixing with courtney cox like they were truly the badasses of the film and they did not pull their punches and they did a great job of like both bringing back these old characters and also continuing the story and passing the torch and i do agree because like paramount straight up said like we're making more screen movies so, if Sydney and Gail were to set the next ones out, I'd totally be okay with that. Or if there's like a just small little cameo here and there, that I would be perfectly fine with that because like, even yeah. though they look awesome still, they're, you know, they've been doing this for 25 years. <laughs> it's time to, if you're, if you're going to keep this franchise going, you need to pass the torch and it has to be likable people. And Sam Carpenter uh, and company are definitely likable especially her sister jenna ortega Um, uh, from have you seen you season two
2: no i have only seen season one i still have so much catching up to do with you. oh my god Did she's in
1: you season two and she is amazing oh, she steals the show and uh oh good there's so many good uh actors in it uh you know are you a fan of like stand-up comedy side note
2: i like stand-up comedy yeah
1: are you familiar with chris delia
2: I am familiar, okay. not oh, I'll completely familiar, but I know who you're talking about.
1: Okay. I might edit this out, but whatever. Um, Chris D'Elia, allegedly, I have to say that, uh, talking to underage girls uh, for nefarious mm-hmm. reasons. And then before that broke, in You Season 2, he's like the villain. And oh. let's just say art is imitating life.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Well, now I really want to Allegedly.
1: That's that's my recommendation for you. Use season two. Like, that is, like, so good. It's so good. And Jenna Ortega, the sister of Sam Carpenter, Tara, she is, like, one of the main characters, and she probably, that's how she got the Scream gig, because, like, she knocked it out of the park, acting-wise, in that show.
2: Well, I believe it, because Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrera, who played Sam, they both... We're so good. I am very intrigued with both of them. Um, They're both very badass. They both care for each other as sisters, which I love. They're both um, very fearless. And also, uh, speaking of people not dying, two things, and we can unpack either one first. A, this is the first movie where... The opening sequence girl doesn't die and in fact turns out to be a main character, which I think from the beginning shows like we're not playing by the old rules in this movie, but it is starting the same way as every other movie. And then also speaking of homage and continuing and passing the torch, um, another person they brought back was. Heather Matarazzo, I think is how you say her name, who plays Martha Meeks, Randy's sister. And it turns out that she's the mother of the twins, Chad and um, Mindy. And so they both are revealed to live at the end too. They don't die. So now you have, um, even moving forward, if Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox don't come back, you have these other two legacy characters who are um, related to... The beginning so not only did gail and sydney pass the torch on to sam not only is sam the daughter of billy loomis but also we have randy meeks niece and nephew as possible characters to go on into the new movies
1: right uh i was you know i know we mostly talked about the legacy characters um but like with chad and like his twin sister um they were Amazing. Like, we're talking about likable characters and like for this franchise to move forward, you have to have likable characters for the audience to care and to give a shit about whatever's happening on screen. So I was surprised uh, because Chad was attacked by Ghostface and he got stabbed multiple times. So I was like, oh, he's alive at the end uh mindy too like cuz like they disappear from the film they they're like oh they're they're stabbed they're bleeding out anyways uh carry on with the story and with them revealed to be alive at the end like so you have this you have the framework you have the foundation of like this likable cast for scream to continue on uh in whatever shape or form it uh goes into with actors that are actually good and they have chemistry and they're interesting and I'm totally down for all of it I really am yeah
2: well and I love that they carry on the kind of goofiness that Randy Meeks brought into the first two movies and even his cameo in the third movie where he's on the videotape um and also the goofiness that was deputy Dewey that clearly is not going to be there in that form anymore. Um, and what they, what happened to them is what I call the, de- the deputy Dewey treatment. You really think they're dead. And then they're shown on a stretcher at the end revealed to be alive. Cause that happened to Dewey in the first one. It happened to him in the second one. I mean, in the second one you really think he dies because he gets stabbed yeah. up against that sound booth window and blood comes out of his mouth and you're like oh. He's dead. But then at the very end, they show him on the stretcher, a la Chad and Mindy Meeks. And by the way, you're so right. The actors are so good. Jasmine Savoy Brown um, as Mindy, the first really queer character of the series, which is amazing because this is one of the most queer coded franchises ever in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Mason Gooding, who I love from Love Victor on Hulu, but is the son of, Cuba Gooding Jr.
1: Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah.
2: And he's so handsome and funny <laughs> and likable. I mean, and he completely deserves his own name and his own respect. But um, just a fun fact.
1: Wow. Yeah, I I definitely noticed um, the LGBT characters sprinkled in. And honestly, it just felt natural. Because, like, you know, with, like, modern movies where it's, like, it seems like they're trying to fit a quota you know like diversity in some way shape or form but like with this movie it was just natural they just because like the reason why it was natural was the characters were interesting they're fleshed out and they just so happen like for mindy she just so happens to be uh lgbt like it just so Mm -hmm. it just coincidentally oh by the way i'm gay and it's like oh that's so refreshing because like in real life that's how it works Like you know, you have real life. That's
2: completely how it works. They're just there, and it's never mentioned. That's what you're saying, I think, and you're. That's I agree. And she's wearing a pin in in the end, and she definitely flirts with a girl. I think it shows her like making out with a girl, but it's never a point of discussion because in 2022, it probably wouldn't be. And it's been a long time coming because right. Every movie to me has a lot of queer undertones. And obviously the creator of Scream, Kevin Williamson, is a gay man. He is also the creator of Dawson's Creek from the 90s, which explains a lot of the soapiness (laughs) of it all. And he's even said that, like, from the very get-go, the whole Billy and Stu thing was inspired by, um, at least in part, by a real-life pair of gay killers, the Leopold and Loeb case. Um, Really? If you look that up. Yeah. Oh my God. And he wasn't even out when he wrote the first Scream movie, like publicly. But for me, I mean, if you watch that last 20 minutes of Scream and just even the... And a lot of it obviously is director choices, but the body language of Stu and Billy and the way that they're written and the fact that like Stu doesn't have really any reason to do what he did other than Billy told him to do it. So he did it. It's definitely something that is not concrete. And even Kevin Williamson says, I think I subconsciously did that. So it clearly wasn't completely intentional even But for me, it's always been really apparent. Also, the killer in Scream 2, Mickey, he has little lines to infer that he's straight. But for me, it's a very queer-coded character. Scream 3 is the campiest of the screams. It literally (laughs) is like every character gets a drag impersonator of them for the Stab movies. And they're over the top and they're caricatures and it's freaking Parker Posey, for God's sakes. And Scream 4, they have the whole thing with the gay. Like One of the rules is if you're gay, you're totally safe, which turns out not to be true. But this (laughs) is the first time there's actually a on-purpose, real-life queer character in this series that, for me, has always had these undertones. So I love that it finally happened. And like you said, it's not a big deal. It's just, let's make their presence there and... Call it a day, and it and it is what it is. I love that.
1: That's how you do it. That's how you handle that. It's yeah. funny that you mention the killer of Scream Two, how he how he has like uh, little lines of like, oh, I I call them case of the not gays, where it's like, you know, the characters like, you know. S- pretty certain you're you're gay but like they have like lines like i can't wait to see my wife later it's like (gasps) okay
2: (laughs) yeah mickey if you watch scream 2 just watch mickey's mannerisms watch mickey when he's revealed as the killer almost seems like some murderous vixen takes over his body i mean there's little like Things where he's flirting with Sydney's friend, whatever her name is that in that movie. I think it might be Hallie. And you're like, oh, wait, is he straight? This really campy film student is supposed to be straight. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, I still to this day, even more like there's a lot of people if you look online, they think Billy and Stu were like secretly gay lovers or something. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but we already know that even if that were the case, it was not intentional and it was just a subconscious thing by the writer. For Scream 2, I'm less convinced that it's a mistake and not intentional coding. And, yeah, like I said, Scream 3 doesn't really have any explicitly gay stuff. It's just so campy and drag-like to me. I mean, I don't know. Just this whole this whole franchise. Not to mention the soapiness. Not to mention the creator of the whole thing. But, like, it all comes together. I think that is why there are so many queer Scream fans. Because... I don't know. It just seems I even like in, by the way, the first movie, Randy even calls Billy a homo repressed mama's boy. And <laughs> I don't know. I There's that. just so many things that I see. And I'm like, I can't tell if that's on purpose or not, but I kind of hope it is. It's the subtext.
1: It's not in your it's face, subtext. but it's like, yeah, it's, it's there.
2: Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things. That's like, if you want to see it, you can see it. And if you don't, You really don't have to, and it doesn't affect the overall narrative.
1: That's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, you have this franchise that's led by strong, very, very strong female characters. And I've noticed, because of my friends growing up, the gay community gravitates towards that. Um, Yeah. I don't know why, but like it happens, if you would like to unpack that that a little bit.
2: I mean, that's a real thing. I mean, just the concept of the gay icon. And it's usually like a woman who's very strong and she's gone through something tragic. I mean, I think the number one example for a lot of people is like a Judy Garland type of person. But as time mm-hmm. goes on, these like bad bitch characters like Sydney Prescott and Gail Weathers, these final girls um, are totally like iconic to a lot of gay men. And I did actually read... This week, and I saved the quote in case it came up. But Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, um, the first three movies, was an executive producer on this one, had a quote in an article about this topic. And his quote said As a gay kid, I related to the final girl and to her struggle because. It's what one has to do to survive as a young gay kid too. You're watching this girl survive the night and survive the trauma she's enduring. Subconsciously, I think the scream movies are coded in gay survival. And it's so funny because this quote I read in the year 2022, but I felt like this was the case since I was a 12 year old in 2003, watching the first three movies. And so for me, it's like validation that that coding is like you said, the subtext or it right. within the subtext of these movies.
1: I love it. Yeah, like Scream, even though it's a campy meta commentary movie, there's a lot of deep, rich messages that are within mm-hmm. these slasher movies. And like, if you want to see it, it's totally there. And I love yeah. it. I love it that we're talking about right now. So we've been talking about the Scream requel, Scream 2022. So are you ready to get into the final segment of this show?
2: I'm ready. Let's go.
1: Okay. So let's get off the fence uh, with Scream. So my first question for you is, mm-hmm. do you think Scream 2022 is the best Scream of the entire franchise?
2: No. I'm still convinced that Scream 2, and I'll tell you the truth. I'll be very honest about it. I love Scream 2 because I am in love with Mickey the Killer. I That's <laughs> probably why I'm so convinced he's a gay-coded character. But also, I love the whole college scene of it all, the whole Greek life, the whole mythology undertone with the play. I love Jerry O'Connell. I love Laurie Metcalf. Talk about a gay icon. Debbie Salt is just a crazy woman on a rampage in that movie. Um, So it's the one that I watched the most. Scream 5, I appreciate. I'm thankful for it. I loved it. I give it five stars. But I would say it's my third favorite. Because for me, it's Scream 2, the original Scream, Scream 5, Scream 3, and then Scream 4. Because Scream 4 is the one I think we could have done without. But I'm also thankful for it because it was Wes Craven's last Scream movie. Mm.
1: Right. Yeah, got to have Scream 4 to get a Scream 5. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, third place for you is definitely pretty high up there because, like, you have Scream 1 and 2 as, like, the top for you. For me, Scream yeah. 5 is definitely the silver medal. It's the second place for me. And for me, the number one slot <laughs> is Scream 4. I'm joking. It's the original Scream. Oh,
2: my God. (laughs) I literally was like, oh, no.
1: (laughs) Your opinion is trash.
2: (laughs) I know.
1: Uh, No, I mean, for me, the original Scream is like pinnacle of the franchise. And then Scream reboot is like it's It's a good second place for me. Like, it's definitely not the best, but like, damn, is it good? Like, it's a good... Bridge. And speaking of that, so do you think Scream 2022 will be the bridge that revitalizes this franchise? Because, like, the last Scream movie came out in, like, what, 2011? Like, it was, in all intents and purposes, a dead franchise. Do you think this breathed new life into this franchise?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that. They waited 10 years. Wes Craven obviously died in the meantime, but you found these creators that were so intent on preserving the meaning of the franchise and the vibe and the aura, and even down to the cinematography and the music, um, the campiness, the meta commentary, social commentary. Uh, I think that this was a perfect bridge I mean, and we talked about it earlier. I would watch these whether the legacy actors came back or not based on this bridge that was created with this movie. Obviously, I would love to see Nev Campbell in every screen movie until I die. But if she is done with it, I don't blame her and I would be okay now that they have passed the torch in such a clear way. Telling Sam when she asks, Am I going to be okay? And they say, Eventually. Yeah, Um, it's a it's kind of a sign that it's not over for Sam, but that it kind of is for Sydney and Gail. And I would be I would go on that ride.
1: Do you think given the past history of Scream, do you think this movie will bring Courtney Cox and David Arquette back together?
2: No, I don't think so. Not (laughs) if Scream 4 didn't do it. And not if David Arquette's adorableness doesn't do it already and Courtney Cox bad bitchery I mean they're so amazing (laughs) that if they don't want to be together at this point I doubt this is gonna make them change their mind although I still stand by their chemistry is legit and they Mm -hmm. put their whole hearts and soul into um, this movie and and showing at least the love that was really there once that you can see that chemistry
1: yeah I don't think, I mean, if they're married for so long, like that love doesn't go away. It's just a different uh, version of it uh, now, but I don't think they're going to get back together. Um, That would be, you know, pie in the sky. That would be nice. Uh, So my final question for you, would you recommend Scream to a friend?
0: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.
2: Oh my God, yeah. I think I might even go back to a movie theater and watch it again to see if there's things that I missed because I was so, uh, like, just in awe the whole time after the Billy Loomis thing threw me for a loop and then Deputy Dewey dying threw me for another loop. I'm sure I missed a lot of treats that I don't want to Mm. miss. So I would not only recommend it to people, I would recommend that they go with me. (laughs) <laughs> again
1: <laughs> nice um, yeah this this movie definitely has that replayability where I mean with, with the original Scream or even this entire franchise you can watch them over and over and like still find them amusing because like even though you know who the killer is like going mm-hmm. back to it it's like there's so much more to it like not only with the commentary but also like seeing the breadcrumbs of like okay I know the killer is for example Amber yeah like let's just look at the actor and like how they're portraying themselves and carrying themselves throughout this entire film and like what little subtle hints uh, that they're covering up like oh I just love doing that Um, yeah yeah, I would totally recommend you can do
2: that. In every screen movie, you can do that because you can rewatch anyone. I mean, my favorite to do that with is the first one, because there are so many moments where you're like, it is so clear that Billy Loomis is the killer. Even in those moments that are fake red herrings, um, even besides those, like my favorite one is that there's a scene where Stu, I think it's where they're eating lunch by the fountain and Stu's like, are you saying I killed her? And Billy's like, no one's saying that. And it's like, oh my God, they're clearly working together and you would never know that your first time watching. But going back, they are all directed. They seem to be directed in a way where, oh, this should have been obvious the whole time. Now, if you know they're the killers, it's like so obvious.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 You know, like, cause like there's so many, like you said, red herrings and like twists and turns that – it's kind of like a magic trick where you're watching the magician and if you know the trick, then you know what's going to happen. But like, it's all the art of deception and like misinformation and like uh, with the screen movies, it's just like perfected on screen where you're like shifting the focus because the director is making you look this way. But like in the background, you could see the actor kind of like showing their cards, if you will. Um, I just love it. So this was a great recommendation uh, from you. I'm glad I watched this movie. It was a, a fantastic ride. And it truly um, gave Wes Craven that uh, love letter. Because at the end of the movie, which I didn't expect, it said simply, For Wes, in the screen. Yes. And I was, I was like, oh, yes. My, so my, my theater clapped a little bit when they saw that.
2: Yeah, it was the cherry yes. <laughs> on top of the sundae.
1: Truly. It truly was. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Scream 2022. Please check it out where it is available. And now I'm going to take a moment to thank my guest, Cameron, for coming on to the show.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. This was so fun. This flew by. Wow, we've been recording for a while.
1: I know. It's, it's a beefy episode, but we're talking about Scream <laughs> and of course it's going to get beefy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much cameron for coming on like this was an excellent conversation
2: any time
1: and if you'd like to see more of cameron please check him out on his instagram at cameron Writes, that's cameron with a k where you can find all the information about his book lucas with a k which is on amazon audible and kindle But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Have Discord? Feel free to join the growing film community there at syndicate.com forward slash Discord, where you can catch myself, with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others but if we missed anything during this conversation please send us a message at info at or visit the website syndicate.com until next time stop that scroll and spend more time watching goodbye